0: Hello, I'm Kyle Johnson, and this is What Are You Reading?, a podcast devoted to books and the perspectives of their readers. Today's episode centers around a favorite in the science fiction community, the legendary writer Ursula K. Le Guin. My guest and I discuss one of her shorter post-Vietnam War novels that deals with themes related to violence and human nature, ecology, colonialism, and the problems of anthropology this was an inspiring conversation that could be a good entry point for any reader who may wish to dip their toe into the realm of science fiction or Le Guin's works more broadly. Thanks so much for listening.
1: I'm Sam Cody. I make book videos on TikTok and YouTube. My handle is Sam D. Cody. Yeah. And what are you reading?
0: I just finished reading The Word for World is Forest by Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay, so I'm going to start with a pretty broad question. Who was Ursula K. Le Guin? Ursula K. Le Guin is
1: an American sci-fi and fantasy author. I think her last published book was 2016 or 2017. She has had just a massive impact on the science fiction fantasy genres She is known for a lot of the cultural anthropology influence on her work. So, yeah, she's published so many books. So far, I've read The Lathe of Heaven and The Left Hand of Darkness. And I'm currently working on one of her short story collections, A Fisherman of the Inland Sea. But, yeah, really prolific and influential sci-fi and fantasy writer.
0: Well, let's pick that back up on the question of what this book in particular is about. So can you talk a little bit just about the plot of The Word for World is Forest? The Word for World is Forest is about the interaction of
1: a nonviolent, peaceful group of humans on this planet called Ashtha. And they are nonviolent. They don't have war with each other. There's no concept of murder in this world. And their contact with humans from Earth. So this is a planet that's been colonized by Terrans, is how sort of Earthlings are referred to. When we start the book, the Ashtians are sort of subjugated by the humans, and we see sort of the impacts of that subjugation play out. It's asking a question of what does it look like when a nonviolent community that has no concept of interpersonal or large-scale war
0: interacts with one that is not only
1: accustomed to violence, but expects it.
0: Hmm. I was reading that this book was published in 1972, I think it was. Yes. And that would have been right after the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get the sense while you were reading it that this book was kind of, I guess, providing commentary about the Vietnam War or maybe like an allegory about the Vietnam War?
1: Definitely. There are some absolute definite parallels that can be drawn. As to whether it was like directly trying to talk about the Vietnam more specifically, I'm not sure. But there are moments where you can practically hear Fortunate Sun playing in the background. There's definitely that colonialism aspect where it's a powerful force with lots of technology that's come to extract something from the
0: land. You know, I'm curious with some of those cultural or social issues that maybe she addresses through fiction or provides commentary on. Can you just list some of those issues? It's really easy to look at this book and
1: the events of it and say like Ursula K. Le Guin is anti-war. And for the most part, I think that that's true. Mm -hmm. But I think what she specifically kind of puts into this book is the fact that violence isn't something that's baked into the fiber of being a human. Hmm. There's this strong urge to conflate the natural with the cultural. Uh, One of those things that often gets conflated is violence and war. Why do we fight each other? Oh, that's, it's natural. It's what humans do. How do we justify violence? Well, oh, it's just in our blood. It's in our genes. We had to compete to survive as apes. Now we have to compete to survive as humans. It's just part of us. It's who we are. And I think- what Le Guin is doing here is pushing back against that because we see a peaceful people that has no concept of war. They are interacting with a more violent people who are expecting war and show them violence. And we see this peaceful people learn that behavior. So what Mm -hmm. that says to me is that Le Guin is trying to communicate that this is something that humans on earth had to learn as well. This isn't something that is inherent to being a person. This isn't something that's unavoidable or something that's baked into us. It's something that we picked up along the way uh, for better or worse.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Is it safe to say that this peaceful population in the novel is also enslaved? There's some conversation of that in the first chapter. The term that
1: they use in the book is like voluntary labor program or something like that. There's a scene where Captain Davidson, who is one of Le Guin's fantastically hateable characters is talking to a foreman named Oknanawi. He says, In that applied history course I took in training for Far Out, it said that slavery never worked. It was uneconomical. And then Davidson says, Right, but this isn't slavery. Slaves are humans. When you raise cows, you call that slavery? No, and it works. So. What's sort of happening here is Captain Davidson not seeing the Ashtians, the local inhabitants of this world, as human at all. And so he is totally okay with enslaving them because he doesn't even see them. If your definition of slavery is that the slaves have to be human and you don't see the humans as human, then, uh, then therefore it's not slavery in their minds. Hmm, that was an actual argument that was used to justify slavery in the U.S. Exactly. There's kind of that commentary of like, oh, we need to remember our history so that we don't repeat it. Where we draw the line at human defines what we think is okay to do to to people, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting theme. If I have it right, by the end of the novel, you hinted at this, but this, I guess, for lack of a better word, I'm just going to call them the enslaved population. Sure. They kind of learn to push back, and you mentioned they kind of learn violence, and that introduces violence into their peaceful culture. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, put to work, cutting down trees, building camps, and they're very much forced to do so violently. And then everyone's surprised when they respond violently. Nobody ever considers the fact that they could have learned this from the humans or the Terrans. Yeah. Is it the becoming violent that makes them sort of be accepted more as a human species. So yeah, an interesting aspect as well.
0: Are there any passages that stuck out to you or that you could share? I know you read the one that had to do with the one character's definition of slavery, but are there any more that you could pull out from the book? Yeah, definitely. I've got two more selected already. Let's see. This one is on
1: in my copy, page 52, and it is Captain Lubov reflecting on... The sort of first incident of violence that the Ashthians show, and he's got a headache because of it. So no wonder Pills couldn't get at the center of his migraine, for it was on an island 200 miles away two days ago, over the hills and far away. Ashes, ashes, all fall down. And amongst the ashes, all his knowledge of the high intelligence life forms of World 41, dust, rubbish a mess of false data and fake hypotheses. Nearly five e years here, and he had believed that the Ashlians were incapable of killing men, his kind or their kind. He had written long papers to explain how and why they couldn't kill men. All wrong. Dead wrong. What did he fail to see? So I highlighted that one because Lubov is shown throughout the book as kind of One of the more sympathetic humans, Mm -hmm. he's friends with Selver, who's the Ashtian that kind of initiates some of the violence, at least, as a person who's trying to understand these people and like committing his life to researching them and like actually forming relationships with them, doing essentially what a cultural anthropologist does. You know, he still didn't consider that someone could learn a behavior from the Terrans. So, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting passage because even the most well-intentioned person still didn't sort of see the writing on the wall, I guess.
0: Yeah. I also feel like that passage that you read is kind of a critique of anthropologists. 100%.
1: 100%. For context, I'm an anthropology student. I've been studying uh, that for the past four-ish years. And there's plenty of critique to be had about anthropology, especially as it's used for colonialism. I mean, probably the only reason that this anthropologist is on this expedition is to find ways to control the local population, which you know historically has been a use of anthropology. That's something that's pretty common sci-fi trope in that way. The well-intentioned anthropologist actually causing damage.
0: Right, right, exactly. And just the overall belief that you can understand a culture and even create policies around how that culture is going to be treated based on writing long papers, which is right. Le win's words. What is the role of science fiction or fantasy in solving some of the Our culture's problems? Mm,
1: This is a great question. And I think about this so often. (laughs) When I started studying anthropology, I did so because it completely changed the way that I see humanity and see people and how we interact with each other and interact with the world. Then I later got back into reading science fiction and fantasy. And I realized that that is the same reason that I love reading science fiction and fantasy. I mean, sometimes it's hard to have The difficult conversations especially when it comes to social issues and maybe what's wrong with humanity what we need to fix what can be fixed what can't be fixed these are like difficult things to grapple with especially when we look back at history things like slavery if it's not taught to you well in school it's can be extremely hard to grapple with and being able to look at these through a different lens to be able to see something that is symbolic of something else can make it a lot easier to deal with these questions and ask them and propose answers to them.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. My last question, who is Ursula K. Le Guin to you? Mm, Good question. I think, to me,
1: Ursula K. Le Guin is the answer to a lot of the questions we were just talking about. Sort of what's the point of of trying to understand people if that could be used for bad. How do we best acknowledge cultural difference and sort of communicate it to our own cultures? How do we write about it in a way that's both accurate and respectful and dynamic? Uh, I think one sort of issue that comes up a lot is how do you write about a culture at a given point in time and then come to conclusions about that culture? Ursula K. Le Guin represents an answer to that, which is we look for themes and write fiction about it. It's, you know, something that since reading her work, I want to do and I feel like is one of the most useful ways that we can communicate about difference and interactions between people without trying to essentialize a whole other culture. By writing about the Ashthians. I am aware that I'm not seeing the entirety of the culture because I'm only seeing what's within the bounds of the narrative. If this culture were real and I could go experience it and talk to the people and interact with them, I also wouldn't be getting the entire experience of what it means to be in that culture. The value of her fiction is that we can explore that difference and see what it's like while knowing that not everything is covered. I mean, one sort of folly of anthropological research is that we intentionally or not can give the impression that we are telling the reader everything and Mm -hmm. that is almost never the case. So her writing gives me hope that we can still accurately communicate about difference and learn how to be more empathetic and strive to know about each other even without necessarily continuing some potentially destructive practices.
0: Today's guest was Sam Cody, who's reading The Word for World is Forest by Ursula K. Le Guin. If today's title interests you, please consider purchasing a copy from the bookshop.org link in the show notes. Buying from here supports local bookshops and this podcast. The music heard on What Are You Reading is from the album Wallflower by percussionist Julian Lloyd. If you liked what you heard today, please consider following and leaving the show a good rating and review, as this helps us reach interested listeners. If you have extra feedback, or an idea for a title or genre you'd like represented, you can contact me using the email address in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, happy reading!